All right, so we continue with the wisdom for the daughters of God. We continue with that series, and tonight the title of the lesson is From Slaves to Daughters, The Disposition of a Daughter of God. From Slaves to Daughters, The Disposition of a Daughter of God. Amen. Now, this topic is important because it is the way that we display the disposition of a daughter that determines whether we are true daughters of the father or whether we are being self-deceived. Remember, it is only those that are led by the spirit who are the sons and the daughters of God. We have already seen that Jesus, our brother, was the perfect example and the reflection of the father's disposition in his earthly life. And in addition to his submission and obedience to the father's will, there are seven qualities which Jesus displayed and modeled that should be evident and those who are daughters of God, born of his spirit, and led by his spirit every single day. Amen. So first, let's get into the definition. Because we say the disposition of a daughter of God, but what is actually the definition of disposition? There are four definitions of disposition that expands our understanding of the word. And the first one is disposition is a person's character or inherent qualities of their thoughts and their actions. So when we're talking about this definition, we're talking about your temperament and your character. Amen. Amen. The second definition of disposition is the way in which something is placed or arranged, especially in relation to other things. So when we talk about the second definition, we're talking about your position or your arrangement of your thoughts on a matter. The third definition of disposition is the action of disputing or transferring property or money to someone regarding a legacy. So when we talk about the third definition, what we're talking about is the allocation or the transference of something that in you is your father's DNA. And because you have the seed in you, there has been a transference of a DNA in you of his character and his ways, amen? The fourth and last definition of disposition is the power to deal with things as one pleases, meaning in the hands of, meaning that I take what's either bothering me, I take what I have an attitude about, I take what situations and circumstances that I cannot control and I place it in the hands of another, which is the Father. Amen? So this is what we're talking about when we say the disposition of a daughter of God. Amen? Now, this message definitely translates over to the men as well. Amen? Because we all are sons and daughters of the Father. So what are we talking about when we say that these seven character traits should be evident in a daughter of God's life? The bottom line of what I'm saying is that the mindset of a daughter and her actions are displayed openly unto others. She has chief marks that she is being fathered. Amen? Amen. So let's go through these seven character traits that should be evident. And when I say evidence, that means we should see it. We should see it in your life, okay? Number one, a daughter of God must, must be teachable. A daughter of God must be teachable. 
Isaiah is the one who prophesied that the servant of the Lord would be teachable. And so we'll go to Isaiah 50, 4 through 5. And it says here, Isaiah says, The Lord Yahweh has equipped me with the anointed, a skillful tongue of a teacher, to know how to speak a timely word to the weary, Morning by morning, he awakens my heart. He opens up my ears to hear his voice, to be what? Trained to teach. The servant surrendered to the cross. The Lord Yahweh has opened up my ears, and I do not resist, and I do not rebel. Amen? So he says the purpose that the Father has waking me up and he awakens my heart and he opens my ears to hear. The very purpose of that is to be trained. He's training me, which means that as a daughter of God, I have to be teachable. Amen? Amen. The writer in Hebrews says in Hebrews 5 and 8, but even though he was a wonderful son, he learned to listen and obey. Some translation says he learned obedience. He learned to listen and obey through all of his sufferings. Now, the Greek word for, hmm, that's strange, okay. The Greek word for obedience is hapakos. Is it up there? Amen. And it means to hearken or to listen for the knock on the door, to pay attention to. So when it says that even though he was a wonderful son, he learned to listen and obey, what was he saying? He said he learned how to listen for the knock on the door. He learned and he was trained to hear his father's voice. He learned his lesson well because he is the great high priest that we need who understands because he became one of us, but without sin. Hebrews 4 and 15 says he understands humanity. For as a man, our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way, just as we are, and he conquered sin. So in learning obedience as a human being, this was accomplished by being what? Obedient to the Father through suffering. He did not learn things through trial and error. He did not learn things by saying, you know what? I'm just going to try it out, see if it works. <laughs> he didn't learn things by his own understanding. He learned what obedience was by what? Obeying the Father. For example, we tell our children that, which is the God's honest truth, <laughs> that when you go to school, not every subject that they're going to teach you is actually important. There's only a couple of subjects that are actually important. And two of them I can think of right now is really math and English. <laughs> math and English. Because they really don't teach you the skills that you really need for real life. Because, of course, it's on that system. <laughs> and so we tell our children that even though not all of the classes are important, the real reason why you're going to school is to learn how to obey. You're learning the skill of obedience to authority. So, in his role as a human being, he had to place himself under the Father's authority, both in his attitude and in his actions, in every single situation. Now, this is especially true for us women, because, <laughs> you know, we are the more emotional ones. So, this is especially true for us that we have a whole lot of feelings about a whole lot of different things. But we have to submit ourselves to the word, submit our feelings to the word of God. 
in order to get an accurate picture or even perception of what God is doing. Our feelings never rule us. It's not the CEO of our life. We are the CEO of our feelings. Feelings are what they are. They're just feelings. But those feelings can definitely change at any particular time, depending on the circumstances and the situations that we are in or the blessings or the trials that we are in also. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, what does it mean to be teachable? Because I said that a daughter of God must be teachable. So what does it mean to be teachable? Now, let me start with an example first. I don't know what it is about children, especially teenagers. For some reason, they think that they know everything. They constantly disagree and disregard the wisdom and the accumulation of experience. And they disregard the wisdom that we as parents have and they believe they're friends and was in some of these books that are not spirit-led over us. So another example of this is that Eve lost her place as a daughter of God and became a slave because the lack of honor and reverence for her father's instructions. Because she thought that she knew better. So a mature daughter of God recognizes that she doesn't know everything. She knows that her father has far more knowledge and far more wisdom than she can ever have. She is willing and she allows herself to be taught and be instructed by her father's ways in which she is taught and she follows what she is taught. So once you are teachable, what must you be learning? Once you've gained an understanding that, okay, I need to allow the Father to teach me his ways, his wisdom, teach me what he's doing in the seasons in which he's transitioned me back and forth, what must I be learning? So let's go over that. What must a daughter of God be learning in her role as far as being teachable? Let's go to Psalms 86 and 11 to begin this. Psalms 86 and 11, this is David, and he says, teach me more about you, how you work, how you move, so that I can walk onward in your truth until everything within me brings honor to your name. Amen. So when a daughter knows her father's ways, just like David says, teach me your ways. When a father, when a daughter knows her father's ways, she more easily understands his instructions and she is able to carry out the instructions without rebellion. Amen. The father's ways are what? Not our ways. We naturally follow the ways of sin and death. The Father's ways are according to his character, his wisdom, his purpose, and we cannot know or understand his ways unless he does what? Teaches us by his spirit. Amen? And Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 confirms this. He says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything that you can even imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So guess what? When you step outside of your house, it's supposed to be a prophetic demonstration that when you step outside of your house and you look up, and you look up, you can't even see heaven. You look up. That's a literal prophetic demonstration to let you know how far your mind is from his. 
which is a far distance. The earth is always speaking, but are we listening? Amen. So as David did, a teachable daughter is one who constantly inquires of her father instead of bulldozing her own way. That involves a life that cultivates a prayer life of waiting on the Father for understanding and wisdom and navigating the ups and downs of life. So guess what? If I'm getting ready to be married, guess what? I got to go before the Father. If I'm moving to another state, guess what? I got to go before the Father. I don't care if you are leaving a job because you don't like the way the supervisor treats you. Did your father say to leave? Maybe he's teaching you some obedience through that job. Maybe he's teaching you some discipline through that job. Maybe he's teaching you some patience through that job. So guess what? You have to inquire of him instead of saying, you know what? I'm done with these people. I'm out of here. <laughs> Amen? And it's a hard thing. I'm not telling you nothing that's easy. I've been there. Number two, in regards to being, because we're still on teachable, that a daughter of God must be teachable. In regards to being teachable, we're talking also about what must she be learning. So a daughter of God must, must, must be learning a word. There is no way in this world that you can become all that God has called you to become without getting in the word. A daughter of God must learn the word. Although God's word is simple enough for a child to read, it has hidden truths which only the Holy Spirit can reveal, and they are only revealed to those who are daughters. So learn his ways by learning the word. That's how you're going to learn his ways. That's, gonna, that's how you're going to learn how he speaks. That's, gonna, that's how you're going to learn how to what? Practice righteousness. You're going to learn that through the word. And as you read the word, the spirit is going to start to speak to you to reveal the hidden mysteries of the word that you need to hear in the season that you are in. Amen? Amen. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 2 and 14. 1 Corinthians 2 and 14 says, But the natural unbelieving man does not accept the things, the teachings and the revelations of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish and absurd and illogical to him. And he is incapable of understanding them because they are spiritually discerned and appreciated and he is unqualified to judge spiritual matters so when we are in the word and you walk according to the revelation in which the spirit gives you and you encounter someone like I said it says who is an unbeliever and they don't accept the things and the teachings of the revelations you have to understand that those type of people are not able they don't even qualify to judge spiritual matters so I don't even know why we go to people who are not spiritual and ask them for advice they don't know what God is doing they haven't even received the revelation of the wisdom in which you need and by which they speak. They have a wisdom of the world that they have tapped into. But the wisdom of God is far beyond that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, let's, we're still on teachable. And so the next question to this is, what does the mindset because we said the disposition of a daughter of God entails her attitude, which also includes her thoughts and her mind, and her actions. So what does the mindset of a daughter of God look like? Okay, so actually, we don't even really have to dive deep into this because Paul laid it out for us. He laid it out for us in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. And it says... Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, 
but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantage of the status no matter what, not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privilege of deity and he took on the status of a slave. He became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredible humbling process. He didn't claim any special privileges. Amen. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Jesus came not only to reveal the nature of his father and to restore us to the family of God as his daughters, but he also taught his disciples about the true greatness, which was the disposition of servanthood. He was a son, but he lived to serve at the Father's will. His submission and his obedience to God was the what? Hallmark and the marks of his life of a son. So what should this tell us that the true mark or the manifestation that others will know that you are a daughter is if you are being fathered. If he is the one doing the teaching, then guess what? You're the one who's doing the learning. Amen. 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 Number three, a daughter of God must learn obedience. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, understood the heart of a child. In Proverbs 22 and 15, it says, although rebellion is woven into a young man's heart, tough discipline can make him into a man. So if you are a parent, of course, this should probably ring true in your spirit that obedience is not a natural thing to a child. <laughs> Think of toddlers, amen. <laughs> Think of toddlers when they have the, as they call it, the terrible twos, <laughs> having all kind of tantrums. Why? Because they want to have their way. They are throwing a fit. Why? Because they don't want to obey. It's not in their nature. It's not in your nature also to be obedient. But just like God, he made humans, but this was the first time it says that he took on the form of a man. It said that he set down his powers to be human, and he remained human until after the cross. That's what's going on with some of us. The teacher is calling you, and, and with some of us in regards to our children, the teacher is calling us in regards to our children, telling, telling us what? The kids won't sit down. The kids won't sit down. The kids won't listen. You don't need to take him to the doctor. He don't have ADHD. You don't need to get him on no medication or nothing. Why is that? Because the child doesn't have ADHD. The child has a problem with obedience, discipline, and listening. That's why the teacher is calling. And Solomon said the only remedy to that is to discipline the, the child in order to drive out the foolishness. Some of us women are having tantrums in the spirit. Ladies, you don't want to learn obedience by trial and error. You want to learn it the right way. And that is by learning to be obedient by allowing yourself to be taught. Amen. Amen. One of the benefits that I had as the youngest child in my family is the very fact that not only was I the youngest, but there were, there were four that came before me. All of them learned obedience by trial and error. 
and by hitting their head on the wall. <laughs> Me? Not so. <laughs> I don't have to go through something in order to learn. I can learn by observing what you're doing and tell myself I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so we can learn two different ways. We either learn by trial and error and hitting our heads, or we just learn when we hear the Father speak and we obey what he say. Amen? That's such an easier way. <laughs> it is. Amen? <laughs> Amen. So, for the, so the need for discipline is needed and so important that Solomon wrote again in Proverbs 23, 13 through 14. He says, don't withhold appropriate discipline from your child. Go ahead and punish him when he needs it. Don't worry. It won't kill him. <laughs> don't worry. Now, we're not talking about abuse. Let me put that out there, this disclaimer. <laughs> Yo, yo, amen. <laughs> amen. <laughs> so it's, he said, verse 14, a good spanking could be the very thing that teaches him a lifelong lesson. Amen. I know, right? That's in there. <laughs> and the thing about it is this, for example, you tell a child, look both ways before you cross the street. Now, he can either obey or not obey. <laughs> but the thing about it is this. When they don't obey, and you, for instance, give a whooping on their behind, you don't understand what you just did. You just literally saved that child's life. Now, to think about it, they might be traumatized for a little bit, for a little while, but trust me, them tears gonna dry up. <laughs> And the next time that he goes across that street, what are you going to do? He's going to think about that whooping <laughs> that he just received from you and it's going to prevent him from doing it, therefore preventing him from having to go through anything if he crossed that street and a car was there. Amen? So he's telling you the things that you're doing with your children to discipline them right now as they become adults. Trust me. <laughs> They're going to take it in, and it's going to save their life. Amen. Amen. Proverbs 3 and 12 says, For the father discipline comes only, I'm going to emphasize that word, only from his passionate love and pleasure for you. Even when it seems like his correction is harsh, because it can be sometimes when we think about it, it's still better than any father on earth gives to his child. So think about the best father you possibly can think about in the world. He says he's still trash. <laughs> on, when you're getting a harsh discipline from God, he says that's better than having the best father on the earth. Right. Amen. This also, when I was looking at this scripture, <laughs> it brought me to one of uh, Pastor Kirby's dreams that he had about me. And this dream was it, was, it was, it was rough for me, it was. But the thing about it, the Father had already prepared my heart for it. Um, um, Pastor Kirby had, had a dream that I was um, sitting on the steps outside of the church. And I was sitting on the, um, the bottom of the steps just by myself. And then um, I can't remember all of the details, but what I do remember that really just changed my whole way of seeing things is that he says, when my husband came out of that door, he says, I got up from sitting on, I was on the last step of the stairs. I got up from the last step of the stairs and I came and I positioned myself behind my husband. Now, to a natural man, that definitely don't make any sense. But the thing about it, God was already preparing my heart during that period of time and telling me that I'm going to have to stand down. That's what he told me. I'm going to have to stand down. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about when you say I'm going to have to stand down? He said, you're going to have to take your position. 
as a wife. And he says, you're going to have to allow your husband to take his and then likewise allow him to take the position as an apostle and take your position um, as his helper. And so I also began to ask the father, so basically, what are you saying? He says, there's going to be, there's some things that have been ingrained in you that you know specifically how to do. He says, but he said, it's not your position to do it, even though you know how to do it. He says, I am training your husband myself. He says, so you're going to have to stand down. And so when Pastor Kirby gave me that dream, I already knew what God was telling me. He was telling me, daughter, take your position. Take your position as a helper. And it was a hard thing for me. It was a hard thing for me. But at the very same time, I'm telling you guys, for the first time in my life, for the first time in my life, I felt my spirit sit down. Now, if you don't know what that feels like, I can't really explain it to you because I didn't even know I was standing up. I didn't even know my spirit was standing up until my spirit sat down. And when I felt it, I said, okay, I don't really know what this is. So when Pastor Kirby told me to dream, I was able to receive it because my heart had already been prepared because he had told me that previous to him calling me. So I didn't resist what he told me to do. Amen. 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 Hebrews 12, 6 through 9. And it says, for the Lord's training of your life is the evidence of his faithful love. And when he draws you to himself, it proves you are his delightful child, fully embrace God's correction as part of your training. For he is doing what any loving father does for his children. For who has ever heard of a child who never had to be corrected? We all should welcome God's discipline as the validation of authentic sonship. For if we have never once endured his correction, it only proves we are strangers and not sons. And isn't it true that we respect our earthly fathers, even though they corrected and disciplined us, then we should demonstrate an even greater respect for God, our spiritual father, as we submit to his life-giving discipline. I want to bring you back to verse 7. It says, fully embrace God's correction. It didn't say embrace his blessings, because that's what we would do. (laughs) It says, fully, wholeheartedly, with your mind, your soul, your strength, with all of your heart, fully embrace the blessings Not the blessings, but embrace the corrections. We like to quote the scripture that says what? The blessings of the Lord makes us rich and it adds no sorrow. We say that loud. Tongues and everything after it. (laughs) But the blessings of the Lord doesn't prove that you're a daughter. The corrections of the Lord proves that you're a daughter. So women, you have to tell (laughs) the rebellious you to sit down somewhere and learn. Stop allowing your feelings to drive you into dry places and not get healed. Tell yourself to sit down and learn through correction from your father instead of trials and errors, which is what the university of life teaches. You should be learning from the spirit life university, not the university of life. Amen. The next thing, number four, 
that a daughter of God must be trainable. A daughter of God must be trainable. Now, what does a daughter of God must be trained in? A daughter needs to be trained in righteousness. It is the father's role to impart, even naturally, to impart life skills into his daughter. Jesus not only taught, not only was he taught, but he also was trained by the father. He spent hours in his father's presence listening. So how does the father train us? If a daughter is supposed to be trained by her father, how does the father train you? We'll go into that. The first thing is that the father uses hardships to train us. The father uses hardships to train us. When we don't understand the purpose of hardships, we mistakenly think that God is punishing us for our sins. But this can't be because he has already what punished, put the punishment upon his son. For every sin that we should ever have committed. So how is he punishing us for sin? We also misinterpret the hardship also to be attacks from the devil. We, we all the time. I'm going, I'm just going through. I'm just going through. The devil just attacking me. I'm going through. <laughs> but this does not, <laughs> this means nothing and it actually makes us victims. It makes us victims who are waiting to be what? Delivered when the Father has said that we are already overcomers. Our hardships are intended to be a form of discipline. Hebrews 12, 10 through 11 says, Or have you forgotten how good parents treat children? And that God regards you as his children, my dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline. But don't be crushed by it either. It is the child he loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces, he also corrects. God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. You're in school, and that's why we tell you, when you hear, you're at a university. Amen. Amen. He's treating you as dear children. This trouble you're in isn't punishment. I'm going to say that again <laughs> so your ears can hear. He who has an ear, let them hear. This trouble that you're in isn't punishment. It's training. You're in training. The normal experience of children. Only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? Amen. We would not prefer that. The second way that the Father trains us and that is that he uses scriptures to train us. He uses the scriptures to train us. The Father trains us in the word by giving us examples to avoid and examples to follow. After giving us a summary of Israel's failure to obey God in the wilderness, he warned us, what? Not to follow their bad example of idol worship, sexual immorality, and not being content. 1 Corinthians 10, 6 through 10 says, the same thing could happen to us. He's training us. We must be on guard so that we never get caught up in wanting our own way as they did. Who is they? The children of Israel. And we must not turn our religion into a circus as they did. First, the people partied. Then they threw a dance. 
We must not be sexually promiscuous. They paid for that. Remember, with 23,000 deaths in one day, we must never try to get Christ to serve us instead of us serving him. They tried it, and God launched an epidemic of poisonous snakes. We must be careful not to stir up discontent. Discontent destroyed them. I don't think some of you believe that God did this. <laughs> so let's go to the scripture where he did it. Numbers 21, 6 through 7. And it says, so God sent poisonous snakes among the people. They bit them, and many in Israel died. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke out against God and you. Pray to God, ask him to take these snakes from us. Moses prayed for the people. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> so let us learn through the scriptures on what not to do and what to do. We don't need to go through it to know that he going to do it. Amen. That he's, he has all authority. The second thing, still talking about a daughter must be trainable, is that a daughter of God needs training in godliness. A daughter of God needs to be trained in godliness. As much as we need training and doing the right thing, we also need training and thinking the right things so that we can be the right type of people, those who do what? Reflect the Father in our attitude and in our behavior. That is what disposition is all about. 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8 says, do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. So when you are, the Bible says that you need to be training yourself. There's a training that happens when you come into this place and, some, and you are listening to what the Father has given someone to train you, but it just, it's not, we're, we're past that dispensation of just coming to church, hearing the word, going back home, and not studying. We're past that disposition of coming here, and that's the only time that we pray. We're past that. So when we come in here, we're training, and guess what? When we're at home, we're training also ourselves in godliness. Amen? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Number three, a daughter of God needs to learn how to distinguish good from evil. The writer in Hebrews rebuked his readers for being spiritual babies. They were stuck on the elementary truths of the faith, and they failed to progress towards maturity. Hebrews 5 and 14 says what? But solid food is for the mature, who constantly, who by constant use have trained what? Themselves to distinguish good from evil. So you should be having some training at the house. You should be training yourself to distinguish what good is from evil. Because when you do that, he does what? He opens up more revelation. He gives you more solid food. But if you still stuck on the elementary teachings, for instance, you still stuck on fornication, trust me, he not going to open up the keys of the kingdom and the word to you. It just don't work like that because you still stuck on the elementary teachings. You should be maturing unto godliness so that he can open up more revelation unto you and you can begin actually to not only eat the solid food of the word but to digest it as well 
because when you're still on the milk of the word, you can't digest the meat. It's just like a baby. You can't give a baby meat when it's on milk. It can't digest that type of food. Amen? Amen. So some people will never progress beyond spiritual babyhood in milk and move into mature sonship. Just don't let it be you. Amen. Amen. <laughs> to exercise your discernment of evil and good, you must progress and train yourself to spiritually mature. And the Father will be keep on revealing solid food to you. Amen. Amen. Number five, a daughter must be trusting and we're getting into more deeper things now a daughter of god must be trusting ing trusting because we're going to go through some different trust words so we're going through trusting first ing so unlike us our brother jesus did not have anything to taint his heart in regards to any orphan issues that caused him to mistrust his father. He never had that issue like we have. He knew his purpose and he focused on being fathered. That's why in Luke 2 and 49, it shows us even at the age of 12, he remained in Jerusalem after the Passover festival and his mother Mary ended up doing what? Rebuking him for causing them anxiety because they thought that they had lost him. But look at your brother's response to his natural mother. Luke 2, 4, 2 and 49. Jesus said to them, why would you need to search for me? Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be here in my father's house consumed with him? It's not that, amen, it's not that the theme this year for us is to be consumed. So when we say we're going to be consumed by him, we're saying we're going to trust him. The idea and picture of trust looks like this. When Israel had to live in tents on various occasions on their way to the promised land, they had to drive pegs into the ground to secure the tent so that when the wind blew, it would keep the tent steadfast and unmovable. This is what trust in the Father looks like. Securing ourselves to the Father who is steadfast and will not be moved when the winds of life threaten to blow us away. A daughter is one who learns by experience that the Father is faithful and he is worthy to be trusted. The more we trust in him, the more we find out that he is worthy to be trusted. Amen? Amen. So, that's trusting. Let's go into trustworthy. A daughter must be trustworthy. Now, the ownership of the first one fell upon the father. The ownership of trustworthy falls upon us. It's one thing to trust the father, but it's another thing for him to trust us. It works both ways. I want you to think about this, okay? Can the father trust you? We know that we can trust him, but can he trust you? Jesus was a trustworthy son. Throughout his whole life, he steadfastly stuck to the mission all the way to his death. He was misjudged by people. He was accused. He was insulted. His character was assassinated. He was wounded. He was threatened. And eventually he was executed. But he faithfully fulfilled the mission to make his father known. 
can the father trust you daughters and you sons to make his name great and to be known? In the same way, we as daughters of God have a commission from God himself that is found in 1 Peter 2 and 9 through 10. And it says, but you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the higher calling a priestly work. What we do is priestly work. Chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and to speak out for him. To tell others of the night and the day difference that he made for you. From nothing he took you to something. From rejected to accepted. How important is it that the Father can trust us to carry out the instructions and the assignment that he gives us? Are you trustworthy? Once again, trustworthiness is a virtue. We learn by obeying the Father. We show the Father, you can trust me with your people. You can trust me with your purposes. You can trust me to carry out the assignment. Trustworthiness is a virtue. Repeat after me. Trustworthiness, trustworthiness. is a virtue. Now, trustworthiness comes from what? Obeying the Father. You, do you not realize when Jesus said that virtue came out of him, what was virtue? The ability to hear and to do several different times he did out of the course of his life to the point that it built up virtue in him. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Trying to see what number I'm on. Five, six, six. One more to go. A daughter. Now we went to, let's see, we did trusting. We did trustworthy. And now we're going to say that a daughter must be truthful. A daughter of God must be truthful. Truthfulness digs deep into our inner being. In our relationship with God, it is possible to be untruthful in a thousand little subtle ways it can happen without you even knowing it is taking place. Since God our Father is a spirit, it is easy to be deceived by the fact that he is unseen. We forget that he is present with us and that he knows our thoughts before we can even think them. We tell God things that we think he wants to hear instead of coming before him broken in heart and spirit and to be honest with him. A true daughter of God is real with her father. She shares her feelings and her attitude, even if they are contrary to what pleases the Father. She shares that with him. If she's not having a good day, she brings that before the Father and says, Father, I'm feeling this way today. Help me in the way in which I'm feeling to the point where my feelings are not overtaking me. She's honest with him because guess what? He already know you're feeling that way anyway. So you might as well come to him with it. He's just waiting on you. Pride keeps us from being honest. It prevents us from owning our failures and our weaknesses or even taking the responsibilities for things that we did or said, not realizing that our father already knows. And he has nothing to say to us until we come clean. It was the realization that God is inescapable and his intentions towards him were always gracious that David was able to pray. Psalms 139, 23 through 24 says, oh, 
David always messes me up some kind of way. <laughs> I love reading the Psalms. He said, investigate my life, O God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm all about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong. Then guide me on the road to eternal life. Amen. Amen. So cross-examination, because that's what he said. He said, investigate my life. So he sent him an invitation to cross-examine him. Cross-examination is linked to being a witness in the judicial system. Are we not witnesses for God? So what is David really saying? He is saying, put me through rigorous questioning and trials to see if what I'm proclaiming or testifying about is true. So for example, if I say I love you, test my heart with your people. If I say and I sing all I want is you, test me to see that the moment that you bless me with finances or a husband or a wife or a new job, do I still have time for you? When I tell people I'm a Christian and I stand proud, do they see me or do they see you? When I tell you that I trust you, when my finances dry up or I'm on the brink of a divorce and I'm content, am I content about what you said that you said that you would do for me. Cross-examine me. Cross-examine my heart. Cross-examine my thought process, my attitude, how I come off. Cross-examine me to see that the word that I'm putting in me is becoming flesh. Amen? Amen. Amen. Whew. A daughter of God must be transparent. That's a hard one. <laughs> it is. So what is the difference between being truthful, what we just went over, and being transparent? Let's see. John's going to tell us. John 13 and 1. Jesus shows us how to be transparent. Jesus knew, verse 1 says, Jesus knew that the night before Passover would be his last night on the earth before leaving this world to return to the Father's side. All throughout his time with his disciples, Jesus had demonstrated a deep and a tender love for them. And now he longed to show them the full measure of his love. So because Jesus knew that he was a son, he was secure in the relationship with the father. Jesus had nothing to defend. He didn't have to defend himself. He knew who he was. And a lot of times you've seen that when Pilate, when the Sadducees, when the Pharisees came against him, he was like, look, I already know who I am. You don't know who you are, and you don't know who's speaking to you. <laughs> He lost nothing of his dignity or his status by what? Playing the role of a slave. He lost nothing. Wherever he was or whatever he was doing, he would still and always be God's son. People who are insecure of who they are, having to rely on their position, their title, their social standing, their financial status, or even how they dress to maintain honor and respect for people. They have a hard time being transparent at the fear of losing face. That's why I really love the way that Renee loves. I love the way that she expresses her love. I take something from all of y'all in here. That's the thing that I take from Renee. 
is that her ability to be transparent, to express her love. There's nothing wrong with Renee. The problem is us. <laughs> we're the problem. <laughs> And the reason why we're the problem, because not only do we not know of that type of love, but that type of love is not familiar to us. We don't even know a lot of people that express themselves that type of way. So guess what? The world, this is how the world system works. If something is common to them, they say that's the norm. But that's not how things work in God. What's common is not the norm. <laughs> so we have to understand we're not the normal ones. <laughs> the way she expresses her love towards us as her brothers and her sisters, the way she expresses and shares with us without any what? Any, any form of trying to, 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 to gain any type of face or, 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 or keep a covering on anything, her love is transparent. And oftentimes, it's been really through um, um, our whole marriage, our whole marriage, because I grew up literally without my father at all. And um, like I said, I, I came to know of my father um, after I was, I was grown. I was a grown woman in almost 30 years old. Amen. Until I was like 20, 26 something like that when I met him. Um, but I often tell um, my husband this is that the way in which my husband loves me is uncommon for me. I don't know really of that type of love towards a person. It took me, and, and it's still, I still go back and forth from time to time. And it, 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 it prevents me from receiving what he's trying to give me because I'm always thinking like, what's the catch? <laughs> when is this gonna end? Is this for real? Can't nobody love a woman like this. You know, can't nobody be faithful. <laughs> can't nobody be faithful in God, they say it, but are they really? I've, I mean, I've counseled, I'm telling I've counseled women in the faith, in the faith. In my, in my counseling practice, I've counseled women in the faith that's married to pastors. And this having literally the same issues. And so I know what this feels like. So a daughter must be transparent, and that's work, but that's what grace is for, and we getting there, amen? And this is the last thing. A daughter of God must be thankful. She has to be thankful. A thankful daughter of God has an attitude of gratitude. And what is gratitude? The language of faith. Gratitude is the language of faith. The scriptures are full of encouragement to give thanks to the Lord. Paul even said that thanksgiving is God's will for us. It's his will. We talk about the will of God concerning a lot of different things, but it is the will of God for us to be thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, be cheerful no matter what. You heard that? Be cheerful no matter what. Pray all the time. Thank God no matter what happens. This is the way God wants you who belong to Christ Jesus to live, meaning that is his will. No matter what's taking place in your life right now, good or bad, he says, no matter what, thank him for everything that's happening to you. Amen? So what is he saying? Have an expression of gratitude in all circumstances, both good and bad. 
It's a language of love towards your father. It tells him that although life might be uncomfortable right now, I am secure in your love. I'm confident in your goodness, and I'm willing to wait for you to reveal your purpose in my life. Amen? Amen. So, Father, we thank you right now for your word. We thank you, Father, for the revelation, Father, that we shall receive, Father, from the word that you have spoken, Father. Thank you, Lord God, that the Holy Spirit, Lord God, will begin, Father, to speak, Father, concerning.